Welcome to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, the Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent or are uniquely talented themselves. On this show, we talk about talent in both those ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people, like my guests today. Or second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully that makes sense and you understand how that works. Talent has two meanings there, especially in the business world, and we really look to explore how those two areas work and how you can be better at both. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, and all types of interesting people from all different industries. When I'm out at networking events, industry conferences, and peer groups, I have the privileges of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. So I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and learn some practical advice that will hopefully impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions via Twitter. Just tweet uh, your questions to at peopleg2, hashtag talent talk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions and we'll try to work them into the show and maybe even stump, a, stump one of our guests today. Uh, finally, don't forget you can tune into our show via a podcast on iTunes or Android as well as subscribe to have those weekly shows sent to you. Uh, I think we're almost up to, crawling up to 5,000 uh, subscribers now. We're really proud of that uh, in the short time that the show has existed. With that said, uh, let's get the show started today. My uh, guests today include John Montanino, excuse me, he has that silent G in his name, it's going to trip me up at least once, CEO and President of uh, NC4, and also Laura uh, Niebauer, CEO and Founder of Deliver It and Director of For Every Athlete's Dream. Laura will be joining me at the second half of the show, so let's get the show started. Jim, welcome and thank you for being on the show. Good afternoon, Chris. So tell me about yourself and a little bit about your background and, of course, about your company, NC4. Yeah, well, Chris, I, I actually started out as a uh, high school math teacher um, and, and uh, realized that it would be tough to uh, make ends meet with my family doing that. So for the last 30 years or so, I've held various management positions pretty much in the technology and, and software arenas. Uh, somewhere along the line, I decided I'd get my MBA as, as part of that process, and uh, have enjoyed it uh, you know, over the last uh, thirty plus years. Uh, for the last uh, last dozen or so, I've uh, been involved in a, in a with a company called NC4. We originally started out as a division of another software company called Candle Corporation, where I ran worldwide consulting and services. Uh, but our uh, founder and owner had an idea of forming what's now NC4 and asked me to move over and run it originally as a division, and then we spun it off as a separate legal entity in uh, 2003. 
So it's been interesting. I uh, actually uh, made the decision for a while. I went from having uh, five or 600 employees uh, to, to bringing about 20 over with me originally uh, when we formed NC4, and then uh, doing a few acquisitions and building the business from there. It's been a, it's been a fun, fun journey. What we do at NC4 is we like to think of it as revolutionizing safety and security. So we have a few solutions that we think are revolutionary. Um, we have one, our most newest solution, um, is one that really was the brainchild of a couple of the police chiefs in the Tampa Police Department, where we provide a crime-fighting solution. Um, and the difference there, what's revolutionary about that solution, is it, it's really built from the uh, patrol officer's viewpoint, as opposed to all the other software that's out there. It's kind of built from the, the data out uh, to provide information to officers. We also have a solution that we call a risk center with uh, with travel tracking and active travel, where we can notify our customers, both public and private sector, of incidents around the world that might impact them that we're very very proud of. And lastly, we have a secure communi- we have a secure communication and collaboration solution that's used um, across the internet, but in a highly secure way to share very very sensitive information. Um, and lastly, we have emergency uh, and uh, management and event planning software. So, for example, when Sandy hit the New York, New Jersey area, uh, New York City, the state of New Jersey, et cetera, used our software to respond to that. So that's a short version of what NC4 does. Well, that's quite a bit and uh, certainly quite a few interesting things that you mentioned in there. I mean, the first one being that you were originally a math teacher. I mean, that's I, I didn't know that about you when we've met before. And uh, certainly... Uh, I find some interest in that because my wife's a teacher, and that's a very difficult thing. But I'm surprised you were able to kind of make that decision after going through all that schooling and all the trouble to get in there and to, to move on to another career. About how long were you doing that before you made that choice? Well, I was a, I was a teacher about uh, about three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did enjoy it. I, I, I taught and I coached, coached football. I have to admit, it was harder to leave the uh, the, the coaching football part than it was <laughs> the math teaching part. Yeah. Um, but I also had a lot of background in in uh, you know, data processing computers at the time, and uh, got a got a pretty good offer to uh, and, and, a, and actually a very substantial increase in compensation for even that first uh, programmer job. So mm-hmm. um, it's in some regards, it's a shame. I probably would be more valuable to society today if I was still teaching math at the high school level um, but uh, um, unfortunately uh, we don't uh, we don't compensate our teachers uh, that way right right well now kind of fast forwarding here to the future now that you're you've been CEO and president of NC4 I think since 2003 being in a company that really works in that technology field what has been the most challenging aspect of keeping up with the changes in that particular field? Yeah, as you say, it's it's it, it's a pretty remarkable field. I mean, the um, uh, the, uh, the 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 processing power that I have in my pocket right now on my smartphone uh, is much more impressive than uh, some of the some of the computers that I worked on when I first started my career. So it is one that you have to, to keep keep track of and keep on top of. Um, one of the things that uh, that I actually enjoy, and sometimes my staff does does think I dig in too deeply. I do think. You you, uh, you have to understand whatever it is you're uh, leading as an organization enough to be able to know uh, whether, whether you're being snowed or not and what direction things are going on. So I, I, I do spend a fair amount of time mostly with my guys, help, help having them educate me 
Um, I'm not afraid to say I don't. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Explain it to me. I think that's an important aspect of what a leader needs to do. Um, I think it. Uh, I know I've seen way too many managers that are afraid to say, "Hey, I don't. I don't know. What mm-hmm. do you mean?" Um, and I. But I. I find that uh, that that's makes it much more interesting for me um, to go forward. Yeah, I think that's a good, really good point because one of the biggest factors or one of the probably like almost litmus tests is if you bring in a manager and if they're going to be willing to say they don't know and they need help or to bring in their team and to figure it out collaboratively, that's usually a pretty good sign of a good leader. But it's hard to find that out prior to them coming in the door because you get the ones that don't want to say they don't know, don't want to look stupid in front of everyone, and that's usually we end up having a lot of problems internally. So I, I'm sure with, you know, you guys handling so much of this with your technology, both for, you said, some police departments, Department of Homeland Security, and some large companies, that you have to kind of deal with a lot of different things and probably a lot of headaches and, and, and big matters that come across your desk. How do you keep yourself centered and focused when all that's going on? Uh, well, it, it, it is sometimes a challenge. What I what I what I do try to do is I, I don't mind so much personally uh, Monday through Friday doing nothing but sleeping and working, maybe throwing an occasional meal in there. Uh, but what I do try to do uh, every weekend is, and I may still do a little bit of work. I do. Uh, I personally am a golfer, so I like getting out on the golf course. It, for me, it's uh, it's four hours. It's probably only four hours in the week where I'm awake and, and my mind is not on the job. Um, so I think I think everybody needs some outlet, something that really enables you to to get your mind off of uh, the day to day stuff, whatever that is. And and for me, it's uh, it's golfing on a regular basis and and once or twice a year skiing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you've also got another little secret in there that you, you get some work done. It's kind of one on one time with yourself quietly at what 3 a.m. you like to wake up and do an hour's worth of work yeah yeah i i i, I don't know if i'd use the word like there um <laughs> but, but but i did i did share with you when we were chatting that uh i used to fight it but uh i find that i often will wake up as you say about about three or three or four in the morning and uh fighting it and trying to go back to sleep is not the answer i find that if i uh give in do a little bit get whatever's on my mind uh put away squared away uh that could go back and catch at least another hour or two before I start my day, and that is uh, that is beneficial time for me. I would not 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 something I would claim I like. Um, not something I would I would necessarily recommend to other folks. Uh, but I do think if you are the if you are the type of person who does wake up in the middle of the night, uh, trying to do something so you can you know put it to bed and get it out of your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean you work a little bit or whatever. I think is always a good a good good idea. Yeah, I think a lot of people have some different strategies. And how do you clear your mind if you've got you wake up and you've got that swirling in your head for some people it's writing it down i mean i know i I, occasionally when i wake up i've got a pad there and i'll write it down and then i go right back to sleep uh it sounds like for you it's more of a habit to spend a little bit of time and work on that what you need to work on then you can kind of get back to sleep yeah i got i got the ipad next to me in bed uh my wife is not uh, a big fan of it but uh, with the light uh but i i find i I can get a few things done either make notes um on on it or Mm -hmm. respond to a few emails or other things and and that once i once i do that for a while i'm able to to get the mind uh, back settled and at least go back for a a few more hours before the day starts (laughs) well maybe uh possibly a good tip for those of you that are waking up at three or four o'clock in the morning and need something to do so, you know, you mentioned really the, the growth of your company, kind of pushing 
uh, NC4 kind of came out of another division and then it became its own uh, company. So, and also some of your other past experiences. I'm wondering, during those processes when you really went into major growth periods, were there particular talent positions, certain key hires that you had that you think really helped take your business to a different level? Yeah, we've had a few. Um, you know, they, we've, as I said, I think I mentioned earlier, we've done four acquisitions since uh, we were a separate legal entity, and those are always uh, interesting and challenging. Um, it's it's uh, you know four different cultures that uh, had to be merged, and some of that takes time. In most cases, we retain the uh, the leadership of those entities and needed to find the right place for them in our organization. That's probably been uh, the biggest challenge. Uh, but we also, you know, since, since we are a technology company, um, and in some cases we, we the acquisitions were done at least partially because of the underlying technology that we wanted to acquire as part of the acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we've done that, um, we've needed, um, you know, to have some key selected positions filled. And those were always challenging because you're looking for senior level technical people, architects. Um, you, in some regards, you want somebody who is um, maybe not not a not a conformist, not somebody who necessarily even interviews well, right? But but uh, really knows their thing and is able to to think on their feet. We've had a few of those. Uh, they've been the, probably the most challenging hires, but as you said, have probably met, met the most of the business over time. Yeah, and we've had some past guests share that, you know, when they finally got the right biz dev person in the door or they got the right CTO in the door. I mean, some, for some companies it's been, and once they got the right person in a particular position, they can really look at their numbers and say, that was the spike. That was where we finally took off uh, in the right direction. I mean, it was a, you know, a VP of sales or, or what have you. Did you have any of those moments where, you know, one particular person in a particular role really helped catapult you to that next level? Well, we, we've had a, 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 almost everybody in the organization has either grown from within or has been peep individuals that we've uh, we've hired with previous knowledge and experience. I'm fortunate that uh, most of my management team have pretty much been with me. E- either they came from one of those acquisitions, or they've been with me since uh, since the onset. Um, so I can't I can't say that we I can point to any particular individual that uh, that makes a huge difference. Um, the the uh, street smart application, the crime fight application that that I, that I mentioned to you, I can trace to um, one individual. Uh, abilities and, and vision, uh, coupled with his ability to work with, in this case, a couple of the police chiefs in, in uh, Tampa Police Department, um, and we believe we have a lot of uh, uh, very optimistic about uh, the number of uh, customers that we're going to see, and, and the fact that we're actually going to help Tampa. We've helped Tampa. Uh, Tampa's attributed an uh, over nine percent reduction in crime in the last year from using the technology, and that's certainly a, a nice benefit. It's nice to be able to do a good business. Um, but also help your community at the same time, which is one of the unique aspects of NC4. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned a lot about your management team, and, and certainly you're out there leading them, but I'm assuming at some point someone had a pretty big impact on you and your own professional development. Who, who, who was that person? And maybe you can share it to us why that is. Yeah, there actually there were several people that have had a pretty big impact on me. And maybe one of the more interesting lessons learned is there's the, one of the one of my managers uh, a while ago, um, who to be blunt was not a very good manager. Um, was a difficult to work for. Uh, did not command a lot of respect from the team. 
um, but probably taught me more than any other manager and pushed me and helped my career more than anybody else. And maybe one of the lessons learned is um, you learn from uh, good, positive leadership and examples, but you can also learn from, uh, from the negative side of that. I also, that actually, interestingly enough, that same individual, um, like uh, I mentioned I was a math major, and from there I went to, to, to for a job as a programmer. So nerd would have not been a word that I was, uh, that, that you would uh, you would expect to be associated with me back in those days. And um, the one, uh, I had one, one, one boss that really, really pushed me to get out and, and get with the sales team, get with uh, customers, uh, get with the marketing organization, and basically put myself out there more in the sales and marketing arena, still keeping my technical expertise and knowledge of what we're doing um, at a high level. That individual, that probably was one of the things that really, really has helped me quite a bit in my career as, as, as I've gone along. So, well, you went out and really were able to develop yourself, it sounds like, and, and kind of get outside your comfort zone a little bit, and, and that can be difficult for people. Within your own organization, you know, have you had any successes in getting people to do the same thing to really take their talents to the fullest? Yeah, and and it's interesting. You uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned getting out of your comfort zone. Um, I, I actually do do fairly well at it now. But you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was at one of the uh, at a major conference where you know there was a uh, the, the way you really do the business is you walk up to people um, on a break and introduce yourself and start having a conversation, um, which I do fairly well. Uh, but I absolutely, positively hate and detest doing it. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and it's it. interesting. We uh, we have uh, um, we do have somebody that that works with our organization doing sales training. A consultant that we uh, we have on on, on retainer. I was, I was talking to him about how um, I've got to overcome that and continue to push and overcome it. Um, and he was talking about how, first of all, that's actually not all that unusual. And in fact, uh, we I have a very successful member of my sales organization who has done an exceptional job for us for you know, the last you know eight or nine years, um, who also. You know, is, is is somewhat introverted and hates hates doing uh, what I just described. Uh, but he also pushes himself um, and does a wonderful job when he does it. So it's an interesting. Sometimes you just got to push yourself um, into those situations, and you learn that uh, you actually can be probably pretty good at it. And um, it's uh, it's not all that painful. Yeah, I had I had a very similar experience, and I used to take a certain amount of business cards based on how many people I thought were going to be at an event, and I told myself, get all, all those cards had to be passed out. I had to force myself. That was like my goal. I got 20 cards in my pocket. I'm going to talk to 20 people, give my card, and then I can leave. And it over time, though, it started to, I didn't need to do that, but I had to get out of my comfort zone a little bit because I preferred to be up front talking to 100 people or 1,000 people. That wouldn't bother me one bit. But getting into that small group, 10, 12 people, or you're talking to two or three at one time, it was a little bit harder. One-on-one, no problem. A thousand people, no problem. But for me, all that in-between was harder to deal with, and I had to really push myself. And it sounds like you had to as well, just to yeah. kind of get that comfort to where you st- Even though you might be good at it, internally, it, it, it's difficult. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. Uh, but what, what happens, though, is when it's, when it's two or three people who already know each other and are talking to each other, uh, that's when I find it's the hardest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you got to do it. Yeah. So do you feel that you've changed over time as a leader? 
at all? Yeah, yeah, I, I have changed a fair amount. Um, and uh, one of the I have my uh, my administrative assistant has been with me for 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 a long time, and and uh, one of the things she points out that I that how I've changed is um, I, I'm much quicker now to uh, congratulate people on doing a good job and thank them and maybe write a little note of appreciation for a, a, a job well done. In the past, when I first, uh, when I first, uh, over over the course of time, I was much more apt in the past to think, well, it's just their job. That's what they should have been doing all along. Um, they should need a pat on the back or a, you know, a Starbucks gift card or or anything along those lines. Mm-hmm. One of the probably the, the the biggest change in my personal managerial style has been to recognize how important it is to um, to stop. Uh, recognize the, you know, the, it is particularly, not, not so much for my direct reports, but for the other people in the organization to stop and say, hey, great job there. Thank you. Um, even if that's all it is, is just a verbal or a email thank you. Uh, it uh, goes a long way. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And sometimes it needs to come from the top or it needs to come from the person's direct manager. One of the things that we do in our organization that we would love is called the green flag. And anybody can, send it out to everyone else in the organization, hey, this person did a great job for me doing this thing. And then everyone can congratulate them as well and tell them good job. And so it's more than just the one person. But you know, sometimes it needs to be top-down. That That's important. But we kind of like to use that crowdsourcing thank you and, and good job as well in our organization, and people really seem to like it. That goes a long way. We We have something we call a night on the town where – any individual can nominate anybody else. It usually ends up being managers, but though we do encourage and occasionally get an individual contributor recommending another individual contributor um, to be recognized for above and beyond performance, and we uh, we give them a basically a night on the town with you know a meal and, and so forth, and that that goes a long way. So one of our favorite questions to ask our guests, uh, I'm going to ask you now, which is, what are you reading? What am I reading? Uh, well, most most of my reading is uh, is emails. Um, <laughs> when it's not emails, it's uh, you know like uh, just recently read a uh, I'm sorry a team performance uh, book. Um, but for uh, social reading, when when I when I, I do a lot of coast to coast flying, and after about three or four hours of uh, of work, I finally do uh, get down to some some fun reading. And the last book I'm I'm just about finishing now is uh, The Forgotten by uh, Baldacci. So, uh, but most of most of my reading, unfortunately, is a, is a lot less entertaining than that. And and that was the and most recent uh, pleasure book. Have you read any uh, business books re- recently? Uh, you said the team management book. I don't know if you remember the name of that one. Yeah, well, the, the, actually, the one is the the wisdom of teams uh, by uh, Katzenbach and Smith. I think are the names, which was pretty good. We're we're in the process of trying to um, improve the, the the team performance, um, both at the executive team level. Uh, with and with some individual team groups, so we uh, we uh, we I gave that 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 book was was reading required reading from uh, and actually came uh, two of my executive team are are in are in various um, uh, leadership and and MBA executive MBA programs, and I think it was one of them that recommended that book uh, back to us, and it's uh, I think it's I think it's worthwhile. Want to make sure we find out from you. If people are interested in learning more about NC4, what's the best way for them to reach out and find out more? 
Well, like uh, like like most people, um, uh, we're not a hundred. We're in the process of updating our uh, website, uh, but that's always a good place to go. It'll hopefully be better in the next few weeks than it is today. Uh, but that is just www.nc4.us. Um, and uh, with and, and with that, you can uh, find out what we do, and also contact me or anybody of the member, any member of the management team. Wonderful. Well, uh, Jim, thank you again for being our guest on the Talent Talk Radio Show, and hopefully, you can come back and give us an update on what you're doing and how your company is. Thanks, Chris. And I hope it was worthwhile. Okay. Up next, uh, my next guest will be uh, Laura Newbauer. After we take this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. And now back with Chris and his next guest. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab and clicking on Talent Talk. Of course, you can also open up your podcast app on your iPhone, your Android, whatever it may be, and do a little search for Talent Talk and hit subscribe. Uh, We've already amassed a huge following on, on the show, and we really want to thank you. My next guest is Laura Neubauer, CEO and founder of Deliver It, and also director of For Every Athlete's Dream. Don't forget to tweet your questions live right now for Laura by sending them to at peopleg2, hashtag talent talk. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me today. So tell us about yourself and a little bit about your background and the two different companies or company in the foundation that you that you work for. Super. Uh, Delivered is a regionalized overnight company, also offering custom logistics throughout the western part of the United States. We compete directly with the major national carriers at uh, reduced rates and enhanced services. So basically, we give rates that the big guys only give their largest commercial customers. And I actually put myself through college as a same-day messenger driver is how I started in the transportation industry. Wow. And I kind of threw my degree away and uh, just loved the transportation industry so much that I decided to stay in it. And so I have over 30 years of experience uh, from same-day delivery to overnight and routed deliveries, air delivery, planes, trucking, 
document delivery small parcel and even those crazy bike messengers. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, For Every Athlete's Dream is my nonprofit that I'm creating to keep youth and especially teens um, playing competitive sports. For Every Athlete Dream helps support uh, with financial aid and also equipment uh, distribution. And the nonprofit is currently in the development stage and getting ready to launch here shortly. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So what what uh, prompted you to start your company, Deliver It? Well, Deliver It, um, I decided since I was a specialist in the transportation industry, it was really opportunity that uh, helped me start Deliver It. I had worked for several transportation industries over the years, and I had an opportunity to purchase a small delivery business in Los Angeles. And um, finding the niche in the delivery industry is really what built the company. Mm-hmm. In an industry that's pretty dominated by some fairly big competitors, as, as you as you mentioned, what can you identify as maybe your biggest challenges that you face, particularly when you look at recruiting talent? I have a couple of challenges. One of uh, the challenges I face when um, uh, with my competition is uh, trying to convince my customers that they can get the same service or enhanced service at reduced rates, and that becomes a challenge as well when uh, recruiting my workforce. On the recruiting front, unlike the national carriers that have a very structured service products and a large management or departments that support the company, uh, such as your technology department or your maintenance division, we are a small company that offers various service offerings, uh, 24-hour service. So we not only need a staff that was familiar with the delivery industry, but we needed people that were flexible to wear several hats and to adapt to the various service situations. We needed great problem solvers because we're a regional carrier with a high fluctuation in volume, various services, and specialized 24-hour deliveries. I kind of equate it to the clown act with those spinning plates. You mm-hmm. get to solve one problem, you're running down and spinning another plate. So I had to find staff that could multitask, solve problems, and most important, deliver the exceptional customer service experience. Now, you started the company in 2004, right? Correct. Okay. So as an entrepreneur, there are certainly pieces you recognize that had to be in place before the company could really start moving in the right direction or at least moving much quicker. So were there kind of one or two key talent hires you thought really made a big difference to to your growth or to really putting you guys on the map? Well, I would like to say I had certain components of my business in place before I opened my doors, but um, I acquired the small delivery company in mid-December in 2004 and actually opened it up within 13 days during the holiday season. So I had very little in place, but with uh, acquiring the company, I also acquired the staff. So I was in a position to start the company with the existing staff, but I had to change the entire environment and atmosphere of the company, and I expressed that we basically had a blank canvas, and we are a new little company and a young company, and we could make deliver it basically whatever we wanted to make it be. And, And the employees just bought into that concept and and now they're you know run it like their own company practically right. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the nonprofit organization you mentioned for every athlete stream now this is designed to assist children and youth with financial assistance they need as well as the equipment they might need to play sports now is this more for uh 
kids across the board, or is this focusing on high school kids? Where does it really sit? It's youths, but basically teens. You know, when you get to a level of playing sports where there's a cost in schools, you know, mm-hmm. schools have had their, uh, you know, uh, sports budgets cu- uh, cut, uh, competitive sports from travel and club type sports, that is a great expense to families. So it's uh, targeted basically to the teens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize unless they've had a teen go through high school more recently that all all of this uh things that we've done to reduce the budgets for schools has really just raised the amount of money that parents have to pay correct one of the areas that they have to pay disproportionately i think than what they would have had they had to pay a little bit of tax um that's another conversation probably for another radio show um is they're paying thousands i mean i have two kids in high school right now we pay thousands of dollars per sport for, you know, there's three possible seasons your kid could be playing in. And, and it's really difficult, and I can't imagine how difficult it might be for someone who couldn't, aff- who maybe couldn't afford it. Correct. You know, has, has, has one working parent or uh, maybe two that, that just are barely making it, right, are barely getting by. So your organization is really looking to try to help those teens be able to play those sports and to get what they need to have that extra activity, which is so important than just having the regular academic portion. That is correct. That is correct. And, and so where where in the process is that? You say you're st- still trying to launch that? or Still trying to launch that. Uh, we're in the design and process. We're close to launching, hopefully, early part of 2014. Wow. So what do you think are the most important things you want people in either, either of your organizations to know about success and utilizing their personal talents to the fullest? Well, I think we all contribute to success and failure, and really we have to learn you know, our own personal development, but we have to also learn from each other. We have to be opening to listening and more important, be ready to act when it feels right. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter what that looks like at that time. But if it feels right, we should act on it. And don't stop when we think we have arrived at success because uh, the competition is still playing the game. Yeah, and they have their giant technology departments and sales departments and everything else, right? That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> so you, as you meant to get that nice uh, visual earlier with the clown with the plate spinning, probably need to add three more plates to be spinning. Yeah, that when, is when, correct. When you think you've got it going. <laughs> so when you think about professional development, who or what has had the greatest impact on you and how you've developed or maybe how your leadership style has formed? Do you have any examples of that? When I first started out in the workforce, I thought I had to know all the answers. And uh, so sometimes the decisions I made, I failed miserably. And, uh, you know, when you fail a couple of times in business, you really work with the emotion of fear at that time. But one time uh, uh, when I was working for a company, I met a manager who actually encouraged failure. And we actually had a horse's ass award. And this was a trophy given out every month. And, yes, it was a horse's ass. And the recipient of that award was given to an employee that um, tried something and had failed. And I was motivated to try, try, and achieve success without worry. So that's mm-hmm. probably a good mentor uh, that got me to, you know, expanding my horizons and looking for opportunity everywhere. Right. Well, there's always been some great examples of that type of scenario, that kind of culture. We, uh, we know of other companies that, that give a boo-boo award, whoever has the biggest, you know, boo-boo, so everyone else can learn from their mistake, learn what they did. But you're also kind of setting up that culture of to try new things, to try to make something happen, make something work, not always be safe. And uh, I can't remember, I think it was Gary Vashik, who's pretty famous in social media. He talked about his, every day when he came home and they had dinner, his, his parents would ask, what mistakes did you make today? 
I mean, they start off very, very early, and that almost starts to drive an entrepreneurial spirit and kind of a, a real desire to want to achieve something instead of staying safe, staying, keeping things as, as they are, which is, I think, a lot of times how workers think. Right. You know? So is, is that something you've seen to help your company grow as well, to kind of have that institutional kind of culture in there? Yes, to always talk about the good and always and also accept uh, the bad, you know, and, and try and figure it out, you mm-hmm. know, to make something work. So you mentioned a minute ago that you thought you had to have all the answers when you started. Was there something that maybe you, you realized at some point that you weren't very good at, but you had to really work at to really be a, the best leader you could be, as opposed to delegating out to someone else? Was it, you know, was it a particular maybe uh, emotion, maybe a, a, a activity, something like that? Well, I would think it would be controlled uh, because, like I said, thinking you had to know all the answers, you know, you also um, work like you, no one could do the job better than you can, you know, and um, making sh- and you take on more on yourself than delegating it. So I really had to learn over the years to listen and to be able to guide my staff to make the right decisions. I had to teach them uh, to be responsible, but also teach them that they can be accountable for their positions. This allowed me to be more comfortable in delegating uh, some of the duties of, of amongst the companies and allowing them to actually own it and own their duties in, with the company. I guess what I learned is you need to realize the job will get done somehow. It may not be done the exact way you, you would have done it. And so you have to rely on that, that everything's going to be okay. That's probably a pretty big indicator for a successful entrepreneur, that moment when they can go from doing everything to being able to let other people do it. Yes. You know, because it's done perfectly when you do it. Yes. <laughs> you don't sleep. Yeah, you have no time for anything else, and your company's not going to grow. But it's done perfectly, right? That is correct. So you have to give that off to somebody else at some point. Yeah, that's yeah. an area of measurement. I think good measurement of an entrepreneur. So. <laughs> So uh, one of our favorite uh, questions to ask our guests, because we get such wide range of answers and, and really interesting answers, is what are you reading right now, and can you tell us about that book or books? Well, I heard a replay last week of this show, and uh, so I'm not as embarrassed to say this now as uh, I was earlier, but really I don't read. I don't read books. Um, I don't have the attention span mm-hmm. uh, to read the books. I like quick, short magazine articles, which I think you're in the same boat. And um, when I was on summer vacation, I did buy a book, and I thought I was going to conquer a book while I was laying on the beach. And I bought Richard Branson's Like a Virgin Secrets that uh, Secrets They Don't Teach You in Business School. Mm-hmm. And it was a short, quick little read of all the uh, questions that people had asked them over the years, and all the chapters were just the answers, so one or two pages only. So I thought that would be an ideal book for me to read. I jumped around chapter to chapter. And I think I only read about 20 pages of the book, and now it's sitting on a shelf once again. Well, uh, were the 20 pages good at least? The 20 pages were very good. Yeah. I, I love his uh, thinking out of the box, and I love his customer service experience. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he's a fascinating guy, and I, he'd probably tell you he hasn't read all, a lot of books either. I mean, his, his personality is, like you said, those short snippets. You can get great information, great exposure to things from all different sources. It doesn't have to be alert, you know some giant book that's, you know, number one on Amazon right now. Correct. You know, that's great. I kind of like to ask you a little bit about your creative process. How do you brainstorm effectively with your team to really get them to be creative and get the most creativity out of a session? 
Well, I love the question, what if? What if we did this? What if we succeeded, what would happen? What if we failed at it, what would happen? And at the beginning of every year, I bring my staff in and basically ask that question in different components of the business. Mm. That way we can either change something that didn't work last year just because we spent 12 months on a process and it wasn't successful or maybe we didn't complete it, should we continue on? Or what if we just let it go and did something else? So mm-hmm. I think the big what if question gets people's minds going and their you know, wheels spinning a little bit. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it because a lot of times people can think about, well, what if this went well? I mean, the, the frame of the question might be, you know, what can we do to drive sales? What can we do to improve? But when you're saying what if, you're also asking about the negative and to think about, well, if we made this investment, is this going to cripple our company? You know, if we go forward with it, what are the the positives and the negatives? You're kind of getting more balanced or more centrist kind of a, opinion there. Yes, and it also helps them look in the future and to visualize what's happening rather than just real-time what's happening in the company mm-hmm. right now, what's happening this week, this month, what's the financial statement going to look like, what if launches them into a whole different realm. Right, right. So how do you encourage others who work for you to, to really develop their own talent? I mean, it sounds like you've done a, a bit of work on your own to change and to become the best leader that you can in, in the environment when you started the company, and you're certainly looking to help improve the lives of those in the community, the teens, with, with your, your charity that you're working on. But how do you get employees to to be the best who they can be? Sure. I uh, run a completely transparent company, so everything's an open book to all my employees. So I truly believe that they should run it like it's their own company and um, own every little component of it. And I think if you talk from anywhere from a dispatcher to a customer service representative, you will get that feeling that they have a piece of the action and they, it's, they're running it like their own company, whether they're talking to my banker, attorney, or anything else. They're very well respected in, mm-hmm. in, in how they feel about the company. So by giving them that full transparency, or probably to a point, um, you're seeing much more attachment, much more, you know, really working for the company because they feel like they understand everything. They understand where it's going, where it's hurting, where it's where it's growing. Is that right? That is correct. Great. So I was going to ask you um, what kind of advice you might have for our listeners who are looking to develop the talent they have. It sounds like transparency might be one of those things, but how do you think they get the best out of each person? Well, one strong um, practice I have throughout the year is not telling the information from me to them, basically having them communicate to me in certain aspects and communication that would normally come from the top to the bottom. For instance, I have them write their own job descriptions. I have them change their own job descriptions. I have them rewrite the organizational chart every year. And maybe they find out as we've grown as a company that they're not in the best position anymore and they write themselves in another script in the company. I have them write their own reviews rather than me writing a review with their strengths and their weaknesses and goals for the future year. So once again, it has their buying in to the thought of the company. They're buying into the process as well. And sometimes you can find nuggets and strengths of of person you never knew about because they're telling you. Or number two, it could be someone that's just average, but now they're realizing they could better perform in another position for the company and really excel. 
So do you think that loving what you do really helps drive your success? We've had some people on the show that have talked about loving the company is important. Other people have said loving the job you're doing is more important. I mean, you could be love being doing accounting work, but really could care less about what the company is doing. Or do you think it's some sort of combination or, or none of the above? Uh, I think maybe a little bit of combination. I mean, I really don't love boxes and envelopes. Right. Okay, that is not my love. Uh, I'm just really good at the delivery business. And what drives me towards success is to be the very best at it. And so what I actually love is not the delivery business. I love my sports world. So what I really love is building winning winning teams and building winning teams throughout my company as well. Uh, so I think seeing people succeed is, um, is what I love mo- most about my business. Can you talk about a painful lesson maybe that you've learned in your career, maybe a past experience that, that you had to go through that maybe really helped you grow? Well, I think uh, if I go back to my early stages when I said I needed to know all the answers mm-hmm. or I need to come out strong and not look weak, I think people have a problem asking for help. Yeah. And I think if they realize that there are people out there to help you, you know, you won't struggle as long. You won't struggle as deep. And people are truly willing to help and actually feel honored to be helpful. So I think if people can get over that a little bit quicker right, and use their resources and business alliances around and ask for that help, they're going to grow a lot faster. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, we've... Uh... I think we almost have a, just a couple of questions left here, so, or maybe even just one. Uh, how can people reach you if they're interested in learning more about Deliverit? And, of course, if they want to know more about your charity, maybe Absolutely. Can they give you a million dollars or something. And how do they, we'll how do they do that? Welcome to take it. My <laughs> bank account number is no, yeah. I'm only kidding. Uh, they can reach me at deliver at 877-997-SHIP. That's 877-997-7447. Or visit my website at deliverit.com and they can forward anybody from for every athlete stream via deliver it as well. Wonderful. Laura, thank you so much for being my guest today. Hopefully that uh, you can come back and let us know how you're doing in the future and how your company's growing and maybe get us a good update about your organization as well once you've got it on its feet. I would love to. Thank you very much. That's about all the time we have today. Thank you again to my special guests, Jim Montanay. Nino, excuse me, and Laura Neubauer. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Talent Talk, brought to you by People G2, to hear Jamie Latiano, VP of Human Resources at InFlight Entertainment and Connectivity for Thales Avionics. That is a quite a mouthful, Mike. I don't know if we can shorten that up, but geez, that's... All right, and Amelia Stevenson, president of Eventex. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk, sponsored by People G2.